welcome to Mystery Books Podcast. I'm mystery author Sarah Rosette. This is season five, episode two, and it's all about the third chapter of Murder at Archley Manor. Murder at Archley Manor was published in 2018 and is book one of eight in the High Society Lady Detective series. So we're going to talk about the story behind the story of chapter three, but before we get to that, I want to tell you about one of my recent reads, a book recommendation for you. It's called A Report of Murder by F.L. Everett, and the link to that will be in the show notes. This is a book set during World War II. I enjoyed it because it was a slightly different take. A lot of books are set in London during the Blitz, and this one is set in Manchester. So I enjoyed that change of setting. And the uh, main character is a reporter. She begins in the beginning of the book. She's working at a newspaper and she gets promoted to be the obituary writer, which I always love that setup with the obituary writer as an amateur sleuth. Um, So that's the setup. She's trying to find information for obituaries and, of course, gets mixed up in murder. And there's a great supporting cast of characters in this. And it's a series. So this is the first book in the series. So look for that if you like World War II books and would like um, one with sort of a new twist on uh, the Blitz time period. Okay, so let's get back to chapter three of Murder at Archley Manor. This chapter is all about family tensions, and there was an inspiration for some of it from Agatha Christie. Just the basics of the chapter is, with no spoilers, is a telegram from Olive's cousin has drawn her back to Nether Woodsmore. And that gave me a chance to give a glimpse of Olive's family. Uh, She has a close relationship with her father, who is a very gentle soul. And we also get to see her strained relationship with her stepmother, who is a very managing woman. The dynamic between Olive and her stepmother, Sonia, worked out well for the plot because it gave Olive a motivation to go to London and sort of spread her wings and uh, be more independent. The um, genesis for the idea of the relationship between Olive's father and Sonia came from Miss Marple, though. Um, In the book, The Moving Finger, she says that men who fall in love later in life can be quite overcome. And here's a quote. I'm afraid, you know, that gentlemen, when they fall in love at a certain age, get the disease very badly. It's quite a madness. (laughs) So I had read uh, The Moving Finger years ago, and this is sort of how everything goes into the hopper in the creative process and you don't know how it's going to come out. But when I was creating this relationship between um, Olive's father and Sonia, I thought this is, I could see this happening with him, him being overcome with love. In modern lingo, he fell hard for her and um, it's quite a madness. So of course, Olive's father is nothing like the man that the quote refers to. Olive's father is a good man. But being linked with a managing woman like Sonia gave me plenty of conflict that will play out over the rest of the series. So if you haven't read uh, The Moving Finger, I would recommend it. It's got a brother and sister sleuth, which I always enjoy. That's an unusual combo, kind of different um, detecting storyline going on there. They go to the small village to let the brother recover from uh, some injuries in the war and It's just a great village mystery, very twisty. So if you haven't read that, I would recommend that as well. Now, here's Elizabeth Clett narrating Chapter 3 of Murder at Archley Manor. Chapter 3 
Ross, the chauffeur from Parkview, opened the door of the estate's saloon motor. Are you quite sure you don't want me to wait? I stepped onto the drive of Tate House. Yes, go on to Parkview with my bags. He closed the door and scratched his hairline. Are you sure? Since Parkview's chauffeur hadn't returned from the Battle of Luz, Ross had taken on the additional duty of driving the estate's saloon motor. He'd changed out of his gardening clothes into a pair of faded slacks and a jacket to meet me at the station in Upper Benning, but he hadn't been able to scrub the dirt from under his fingernails. I'm happy to wait. He looked up at the clear blue sky. No, you go on. I'll enjoy the walk to Parkview after this, I said, my gaze going to the gabled house, which stood in the shade of the towering trees that surrounded it. All right, miss. Ross touched his cap, then opened the driver's door, his tone indicating he thought I was stepping out of bounds. In his mind, guests arriving at Parkview should be driven from the train station in the motor. They shouldn't traipse through the countryside on their own. His attitude wasn't the old-fashioned one of unquestioning deference. But things weren't as they once were, especially not since the war. Of course, Ross had known me since I was a little girl playing with my cousins at Parkview Hall. When we tromped through his gardens, Ross hadn't had any qualms about yelling at us to get out of his flower beds. I watched until the motor disappeared around the bend in the steep drive and the trees hid it from view. I turned to Tate House. I would have rather gone directly to Parkview to see Gwen, but I couldn't arrive in Nether Woodsmore and not visit my father, which meant I also had to see Sonia. I squared my shoulders. The front door was unlocked, and I went inside. The airy landscape paintings were gone from their usual spots in the entry hall. A new flocked wallpaper in a pea-green shade covered the walls, along with a heavy gilt mirror. A stack of paintings rested on the floor, turned to the wall. I recognised the size of them. They were the landscapes, except for the last, larger one. I flicked through them. I tilted the large one away from the wall, anger bubbling in my chest. I sucked in a breath. It was the painting of Mum. She stood in the garden, a pair of clippers in one hand and a bunch of roses in the other. Her bright smile radiated out from the painting. It had been Father's favourite, and had hung in his study. I gently let it fall back against the wall. This was Sonia's doing, I was sure. I went down the hall to the coolness of Father's study, and inhaled the familiar aroma of aged leather. Underlying the scent of old books was a new smell. Beeswax. I stopped short. Father wasn't at his desk, and the desk was clean. Instead of papers scattered across the desk and piles of books teetering on the corners— the desktop was empty, except for a desk lamp. In fact, the whole room was tidy. No discarded newspapers littered the chairs in front of the fire, and the usual jumble of magazines and books on the side tables had been cleared away. If I needed more evidence of Sonia's forceful nature, it was here. From the time father had received a legacy from a distant uncle— which allowed him to retire from being a vicar and move to Tate House to work on his Bible commentary, he'd never allowed anyone in to clean his study. A voice floated through the open French doors at the back of the study. 
I made my way across the room, circling around the polished desktop where my father had spent so many hours working on his commentary. The terrace was empty, so I walked around the corner of the house to the little grassy enclave tucked up against the south wall, which had been one of my favourite places to spend a summer afternoon. Father sat at the wrought iron table, his papers and books spread in front of him, with various rocks, shells, and a bit of amber waiting down the pages. He looked up at my approach, and a smile broke across his face. Olive, did you tell us you were coming? No, I had a telegram from Gwen yesterday and came straight away. The cost of the train ticket had cut deeply into my meagre resources, but I couldn't ignore a plea from Gwen. I'd reasoned I'd save on food while I was away, and I wasn't making any headway in London. A couple of days away wouldn't set me any further back. I was already about as far back as a girl could get. I kissed his cheek and drew a chair over to sit beside him. I'm staying at Parkview for a few days. I'd sent a telegram to Gwen and arranged it. Voices again drifted through the air, and Father looked down to the garden. The jobbing gardener is here, and Sonia is with him, giving him instructions. I'm sure she'll be along shortly. Tate House was situated at the top of the wooded hill that overlooked Nether Woodsmore. The drive and the front of the house were thickly treed, but at the back of the house, the land sloped down in a series of terraced gardens. Mum had spent many hours in the gardens designing the cascades of flowers that flowed down the hillside. Don't disturb her on my account. Father's face was thinner, and his cheeks looked gaunt. His skinny neck poking out of his loose collar reminded me of a turtle's neck, wrinkled and vulnerable, as it cautiously extended its head. Father removed his wire-rimmed spectacles and rubbed his eyes. Without his glasses, he looked more helpless than I liked to think he was. The voices moved closer, and I distinguished Sonia's strident tone. Want those rose bushes moved to the south side of the house, Espalier? I looked at father. You're letting her move mum's rose bushes? Tate House is her home now. Anger sizzled through me. So you're going to allow her to wipe away everything, change everything, remove every trace of mum? There'll be nothing of mum left by the time she's done. I saw she's taken down mum's portrait. He placed a papery hand over mine. It was light and bird-like, and I felt a pang as I remembered how sick he had been. We have our memories of your mother. That's the most important thing. I thought you'd like to have the portrait. Sonia is sending it out to have it cleaned. Oh. My flurry of emotion cooled a bit at the thought of owning the painting. Sonia can't take away the memories we have he said. Those will always be with us. Rose bushes are just... He shrugged his bony shoulders. Rose bushes. I knew he was right, but I didn't like the situation. I placed my hand over his. You make it difficult to argue with you. You're much too commonsensical. Sonia came up the steps from the garden. As she stripped off her gloves, she caught sight of me and her steps checked. Her mouth was naturally set in a downturned curve, but now her expression deepened into a frown as she came across to the table and put down her gloves. Olive, we didn't know you were coming. 
She made it sound like an accusation. No, it was rather unexpected. Father said, Olive is spending a few days at Parkview. The frown eased slightly. How nice! A breeze stirred the leaves overhead and ruffled the pages of an open book in front of Father. He reached out to hold the book open at the point where he was reading, but Sonia beat him to it, deftly placing a marker at the page. It's time for tea. It should be along shortly. She closed the book and stacked it with the books on the table. You mustn't overdo it. I tensed, waiting for his protest. Father never willingly left his studies. I'd often had trouble coaxing him to come to dinner, even when we were expecting guests. But he only smiled and replaced his glasses. Of course, my dear. I gave a mental shake of my head, marvelling at the changes Sonia had brought about in the short time since she had become mistress of Tate House. Tea arrived, brought by a maid I didn't recognise. After she left, I asked, Is she new? I don't recognise her. Yes, Sonia said. I'm training her up. Susan left for London last week. Sonia handed me a teacup. Someone put ideas into her head. No one wants to stay in the country any more, even in a nice position such as this. They all want to go and become factory girls. This was clearly a barb aimed at me, and I opened my mouth to defend myself. Father cleared his throat. And how do you find London, Olive? Yes. Have you found anything? Sonia asked, in a tone that indicated it would be beyond the bounds of believability for me to say anything other than no. Nothing firm, but I have several possibilities. Sonia's eyebrows flew up. Oh, you're so much in demand that you can't decide which job to choose. I lifted my chin. I'm sure I'll have some exciting news in a few weeks. Sonia focused on passing a slice of seed cake to father, and I shot a look at him as guilt pricked me. He was the most easygoing and usually absent-minded of men, but there were certain things that he simply could not and would not abide, like lying, hypocrisy, and cheating. But he was taking the piece of cake and didn't notice what I'm sure was a guilty look on my face. Sonia selected a sandwich. I only hope you find a respectable position, something in an office or a bank. Since you insist on working, you must consider your position and how it reflects on your father. Father said, Olive always makes me proud. I'm sure whatever she finds to do will be perfectly suitable. Sonia adjusted the elaborate lace cuffs at her wrists. She wore a long-sleeved white shirtwaist with a high neck. It was tucked into a skirt that fitted tightly about her waist, an ensemble that was stylish a decade ago. With her puffy hair piled upon her head and gathered into a bun, she looked positively Edwardian. Perhaps that's exactly what she wanted. She was only slightly over ten years older than me. Possibly her clothes and hairstyle were a deliberate choice, an effort to convey her maturity. Sonia inspected the sandwich and plucked off a bit of crust that hadn't been cut away. Perhaps you can stay for dinner tonight. The curate is coming. I'm sure he would be delighted to see you again. No, I said. I'm afraid Gwen has something arranged for this evening. I didn't know if she had or not. 
but I wasn't about to allow myself to be manoeuvred into sitting beside the sweaty curate with his bobbing Adam's apple. In fact, I should be going. Ross picked me up at the station in Upper Benning and has taken my bags to Parkview. I'm sure Gwen will be wondering where I am. That will work out well. It's time for your father's afternoon rest. Sonia couldn't disguise the relief that shaded her words. Father said, No need to fuss, Sonia. I can rest here just as easily. She placed a hand on his arm. You mustn't overtax yourself. You get wrapped up in your books and lose track of time. Before you know it, you will have done too much. I expected father to shake off her hand, but he sent her a look of fondness, which she returned. I set down my cup with a snap. I really must be going. I gave father a kiss on the cheek, said goodbye to Sonia, then went back through the house. I set off down the path through the trees that would take me over the bridge and into Parkview's grounds, the sun hot on my hat and warming my shoulders. That look that they'd exchanged had cut through me. It was as if they'd drawn a circle around themselves, leaving me on the outside. For over a decade, it had been father and me. Sonia had wormed her way into that pairing and pushed me right out. I increased my pace, trying to slough off the hurt of being excluded. I turned my thoughts to Gwen. She was capability itself. Aunt Caroline was a sweet woman, but she had little interest in household management. Gwen oversaw the day-to-day -day running of Parkview and enjoyed the task enormously. What Gwen could want my help with, I couldn't imagine. That was Chapter 3 of Murder at Archley Manor, which was narrated by Elizabeth Clett. I'll be back week after next with the next chapter. If you want to continue the story now, you can get it in ebook, audio, or print at sarahrosettebooks.com, and that link will be in the show notes as well. Happy sleuthing, and talk to you next time. <laughs>